Very glad you're with us on Money Talks. Money Talks brought to you by Solera Club at soleraclub.com. Time now for this week's quote of the week, something to think about. This one from George Orwell in quotes. All political thinking for years past has been vitiated the same way. People can foresee the future only when it coincides with their own wishes. And the most grossly obvious facts can be ignored when they're unwelcome. End of quote. I thought that was a great quote in sort of explaining some of the problems that we face, the so-called unintended consequences. Very pleased to welcome back to the show Dr. Michael Berry, who's finding time for us, and as I say, very much appreciated. Michael is a guy who actually presents to the Federal Reserve, among many other things. He's the co-founder of the Disruptive Discoveries Journal. Michael, thanks for finding time for us. Great to be back, Mike. Uh, you know, th- th- there's one big question here. I mean, we had the Federal Reserve raise interest rates in December. Uh, a lot of people pointed to that event as one of the reasons that the market got so shaky right through, uh, you know, the month of January, at least one of the contributing factors. And, of course, now back on the front burner when the uh, central bank is so prominent in everyone's uh, sort of investment decision making. What's your bet on whether they're going to raise rates in March or not? Well, you know, I really don't <clears> – <throat> I didn't think they'd raise rates in December, so I was wrong. I think they made a colossal mistake, a colossal blunder. And I think in the recent uh, testimony to Congress, uh, Chairwoman Yellen kind of admitted that. I think she's backed off now. I don't think there'll be a rate increase. I think at best in 2016 there, there might be two. But when you look at the rest of the world, they're all going negative. And I think it's 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 equally likely that we would – we would have negative interest rates. We would go to negative interest rates because I don't think the Fed has any choice here. And you can see it in the price of gold and silver and a few other things that are happening now. Uh, so well, I, we, my guess is it would be really difficult for them to raise in March, and I'm not sure whether – there's just no growth here right now, Mike. Yeah. Well, it's funny, uh, Michael. I did a, a business comment, uh, was, I think it was about a week ago, and one of the things I just said is at some point – our political leaders are going to take the problem seriously. And I actually believe they do not, uh, you know, a monetary policy, a fiscal policy. But we watch still uh, throughout the world, and I can speak for Canada. I know what's going on in the States. Uh, you know, again, governments are not doing the right things to foster growth. And, in fact, way too often they're the obstacle to growth. You're, we're forcing the central banks to become front and center since 2008. And, uh, you know, you had Janet Yellen and you've had Stephen Polos here in Canada. I think it was no, late November just bringing up the specter of negative interest rates. And uh, yeah. I think people still don't get that. You know, they don't get what's going on on that. When, you know, for, when what, 25% of the world has negative interest rates, when 15 major countries have negative interest rates, uh, you know, and now extending out into 10-year government bonds, I don't think people get the significance of that. You know, the, the Fed contacted me and said, well, we want you to come in April, April 25th, if I go back there. We want you to do another seminar. We want you to explain why rates are going up. And said, but rates aren't going up. The ten-year mm-hmm. down here, the ten-year Treasury bond down here is, I don't know, one point seven or one point eight. It's down. So yep. you know they, they're missing the boat. And I think generally in the world right now, central bankers are out of tools to be able to do things and um, to be able to to stimulate growth. Larry Summers is basically saying we've got to do fiscal. We've got to spend. And, uh, of course, we have a $19 trillion, you know, uh, total debt load in this country. So it's easy to say that. Unfortunately, most of these things get solved. The 1929 to 1937 issue gets solved by some kind of uh, really serious um, 
you know, war. <laughs> to, yeah. Something like that has to happen to put people back to work to, to make the to make the difference. And I, I'm not forecasting that now, but just look at look at gold's up. I think 12 percent or whatever, 15 percent. Silver's up 10 percent, and really the other commodities are not up. So we have a deflation going on here, and uh, negative interest rates won't solve the problem. Well, and it is interesting to hear them mention it. And, and again, I would just invite listeners, if I had told you that we we're going to have negative interest rates, that people were going to institutions, we're going to give money to government, get guaranteed less back, uh, I think yeah. they would have thought that was impossible. And yet, so I'm just trying to encourage them. It's a new world out there. I, I just, my challenge, Michael, is I can't get the people, and we certainly don't have politicians, who can get off this thought that it's business as usual. We keep pretending nothing's changed, really, if you look at, again, listen to the political debates going on in the states for both well there's not much of a debate for the democrats but uh you know the republican debates but the whole political conversation i i don't know you could have just lifted it from 10 years ago and lifted it from 20 years ago and that's the same in canada well well this is a very scary time down here because you've got guys like trump and uh uh on the on the republican side who's who's a total well it's it just he's He's not a he's not a he's not a conservative. He's I don't know what he is except that he hollers at people, and people have taken to his message because they're very angry. The populace here is very angry, and they're penalizing you know what, what we would think would be traditional uh, politicians both on both sides. Hillary Clinton's having the same problem uh, with respect to her her competition. So it, it's a very scary thing because Donald Trump has no idea what's going on. And he could, he could, I don't think he will, but he could, he, he's got a shot at, you know, at being, becoming the president of the United States. And that would be a, that would be a disaster for the economy. Absolute disaster. So gold and other things like that may have some, may have some room to roam here. Uh, let, yeah, let's, let's talk just for a second. I mean, you mentioned, for example, in the 10 year bond in the U.S., well, the Canada 10-year bonds even less. It's about 1.15 or something like that, you know, depending on the day. In other words, you're getting about 1%, you know, for buying a government bond over 10 years. Well, the implications are massive as it ripples through the economy. And we've been so borrowing-centric that we always talk about, oh, it's great for borrowers. But the implications for savers are just massive. Uh, you know, when you look through, and, I, I, you know, we're going to have even more pension fund problems. And it seems like about every week we get signs of a new one. But, you know, they're just implications are going to ripple through in a profound way throughout the economy. All of these issues about interest rates are forcing bubbles, you know, investment bubbles, asset bubbles into the economy. Because, as you mentioned, the insurance companies, the pension funds, they're going to have to take a lot more risk. And we've, we've pumped, a, we down here in the United States have pumped a lot of money into the economy. You know, the Fed owns 22% of the bond market now. They yeah. literally, you know, <laughs> bought that. So, so we have we have a real problem here now in in that regard. It's it's not going to be solved easily, and it's not going to be solved quickly. That's that's the real problem. Um, interest rates are are uh, look the U.S. dollar. You know, the U.S. dollar is very strong relative to the Canadian dollar and almost to every other currency now. And you know that 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 brings us kind of back to to tightening the economy. The economy is already tight here, and it's not going to grow faster. So you have low interest rates. You have a, a rush to higher-risk investing. You have a lot of cash sloshing, sloshing around in the in the capital markets now. 
I think we're due for a big correction in the stock market here, and, and I don't think it's, it's happened yet. And certainly, there's a huge amount of volatility in, in U.S. equities right now. Now, it's just you and I talking. No one else is listening. Uh, do, these, do they have a clue, you know, the political side? I mean, I always think the central bankers are bright, uh, very bright people. But, I mean, they don't have a lot of tools. I mean, you know, great. They can lower interest rates again. So what? Uh, maybe it's the elimination of cash that'll be a big deal. Uh, you know, but they've, they've run out of things to do. I mean, I guess we could get another round of quantitative easing. But as you say, in the U.S., for example, they already own, you know, the big chunk of the bond market. You know, I, I just see some of these movements now as inevitable. You know, all the warnings have been ignored. We're doing more of the same stuff. And I just think the implications for individuals are going to be just so profound. They are going to be profound, and it's very difficult to do financial planning in this kind of an environment except to say you darn well better own some small amount of precious metals, either in stocks or in, in your portfolio, because that, in in terms of, Historically, those are the assets that have held their value. Now, the the, cap, the uh, commodity markets have been smashed. But, you know, you say, do they have a clue? Well, you know, it was, it was Greenspan, the former chairman of the Fed, who said, gee, my models didn't work this time. When, you know, he was looking at the housing market and looking at uh, the dot-com problem. So we have a number of academics that run the central banks of the world, including the IMF, by the way, and they have their theories. And on the other side of it, you have the legislators, and they don't have a clue. So they uh, basically give all the power. You know, they want the Fed, the the central bankers of the world, to solve the problems, and they can't. They're out of bullets now. So that's why I think you're seeing some pressure here on on precious metals and and maybe a few other other issues as well. Yeah, I see that as the sort of the trend we're in is just a continuing increase in the lack of confidence in government. And my own feeling is that where you get the really big move in gold is when it leaves the U.S. government. And that's that's coming. That's in that, you know, Mr. Trump and Mr. Saunders are reflecting a growing disenchantment at a different level than it used to be, is that uh, government cannot solve these problems. And uh, they they are stuck with them. You're absolutely right. They can't can't now. The central bank can't. And the the Congress doesn't have a clue. The Republicans are being uh, hurt because Trump is now the fair-haired boy and you know uh, as a but you know what's really interesting is just the, the fact that Goldman Sachs came out and said gold is going back to a thousand dollars this year mm-hmm. so you know you know when Goldman Sachs does that 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 probably they're going to try and make that happen because nobody wants gold to go to 13 or 1400 which it could if we really have a serious problem, in the capital markets, gold, you know, and I'm not forecasting that yet because we need to see gold. Gold was 1290 uh, last January, January of 2015, and still got a long way to go to break out here. But, you know, it's very interesting that with the strong dollar, gold has also been quite strong. I think it's up 12 or 15% in the last little while. So it's, it's an interesting take on what's happening. I'm talking with Dr. Michael Berry, co-founder of the Disruptive Disruptive Discoveries Journal, uh, preparing uh, again. Michael, are you going to? Uh, do you have it uh, scheduled that you're going to have to go talk to the Federal Reserve again, make another presentation? Yes, I do. I'm April the 28th, and and uh, Michael, I'll send you the list of topics that I'm going to talk about, just for interest's sake. 
Maybe no, I'd love it. Yes. I'd love it because, and I'd love to hear what their reaction is uh, uh, with this. I'll, I've got to take a break, though. I'll be back with Dr. Michael Berry. Just give me a minute here. You're listening to Money Talks across the country. This has been a fabulous week for Goofy Awards. I'm going to share a few of them. And uh, su- surprising how, f- uh, you know, you may not have heard of them or you may not have questioned them. That's coming up with Victor Adair live from the trading desk. And I've got a shocking stat for you. But right now, very pleased to have with me Dr. Michael Berry. We're talking about the whole interest rate scenario, the Federal Reserve, the central bank, all of these things. I mean, uh, Dr. Berry, it's been amazing how central bankers have become all-stars when 10 years ago we didn't know their name. But we know Mark Carney, we know Stephen Polos, we know Janet Yellen, before that, of course, Ben Bernanke. And, and I think that really reflects how politicians have absolutely abrogated their responsibilities and uh, really been clueless. So central bankers were forced to step in and fill the void, especially, you know, post-2008. Absolutely, uh, Mike. You know, I, I, in, 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 uh, in defense of central bankers, we, we would have had a complete banking failure here in 2008-2009 if uh, they had not jumped in the way they did. Unfortunately, they're out of bullets now. They, they don't have yeah. policy. Anything. We have zero interest rates. We've had four quantitative easings. There's a lot of money out there. There's still a lot of debt. There's still a lot of deleveraging going on. There's still no inflation. And the commodity markets have been smashed by their, by their policies. Uh, it's been it's been a really disaster for for hard asset investors, and so you know it has to turn around at some point here. It will turn around, but I think we still have two or three years of um, treading water in this market before we start to see the kinds of uh, investment opportunities that we had in the uh, in the early part of the of the uh, millennium. It's in the tough. meantime, let, let's talk to individuals. Uh, I mean. I, I'm not com- comfortable owning any kind of long-term government debt, personally. I mean, I could be dead wrong, but I, I, even though I think it's still, a, a, it's, as you say, for several more years we're in this record low interest rate environment, but uh, I certainly don't want to start owning 10-year government bonds. Well, exactly. So, you know, we referred to this before. So insurance companies and banks and pension funds and mom and pop, uh, you know, we, in this country, we talk about the big divide between the middle class, which is becoming uh, less of the middle class in terms of what it, in terms of its wealth ability, and we're all getting older down here, so we can't go back into the, the, yeah. the labor market and and those that are wealthy, and that's a big that's a big election issue down here, the the differential between the the very high net worth and the middle class. The middle class is disappearing, and that will foment social disruption you can see it in this election campaign down here now so you know i don't know how it's going to get solved but for a guy like trump and to be able for a guy like donald trump to be able to carry the message the way he does it's almost unbelievable it's a it's a serious problem well i find it fascinating that it's like the celebrity culture you know, we pay way too much attention to celebrity, whether it's on scientific issues like global warming uh, or, in this case, a political issue. So he gets that celebrity culture and focus, uh, you know, meeting that uh, anger uh, and justifiable anger uh, the way 
uh, you know, I mean, in, in Washington's case, it's even more blatant, certainly, than Canada. I mean, you look at uh, the cronyism that's gone on in Washington on both parts of both parties. You look at, uh, you know, I mean, how does the, how do the Clintons, loo- uh, you know, look at how much money they've made out of politics, you know, literally hundreds oh, of yeah. millions of dollars. They've never had another yeah. job, you know, uh, yeah. and, and I'm just pointing them out because it's so blatant. But, you know, that's the norm. And so the public yep. is, as you say, then you get other other uh, trends coming together, technological trend, that kind of stuff that is really causing a huge dislocation. You know, formerly uh, good paying manufacturing jobs are no longer there, et cetera. Now we're going to add on, by the way, the elimination of uh, very well paying uh, oil services and oil uh, exploration jobs. I mean, yeah, it's a recipe for some real problems. Well, well, Mike, wealth is disappearing down here now because People who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s and thought they have a nice diversified portfolio, maybe with 70% uh, treasuries or, or mortgage mm-hmm. mortgage securities, they're, they're, they're losing now. So they're, they're not keeping up with the cost of living, even though there's no real inflation as the way the Fed measures it down here. So it's a, it's a problem. And, you know, a guy like Trump has just appealed to those people. And sure. so we, you know, at least we've identified... A really big secular problem in the economy, and that is people are very dissatisfied. I don't know the Canadian situation; it's probably not as egregious as it is here. But the the election campaign this year is highlighting how unhappy the electorate really is. Let me just let me just reiterate here in Canada. It's just interesting because of the natural resource led by oil boom, uh, we were we were saved from a great deal of the fallout of 2008. Now with the oil falling, a lot of the problems in our, our economy are being exposed. And now I think we're just a little uh, because of that oil boom. We're now just uh, you know a couple of years behind the U.S. in that feeling. And but it, it's coming and it's going to be a fascinating thing. And I, I look forward to uh, uh, hearing from you after you've presented to that. At, uh, Federal Reserve, uh, Dr. Barry, because uh, I, I just love to hear their reaction, and, and we so much appreciate you finding time for us here. And I know well, you got a plane to catch. To. <laughs> okay, I, I do, and I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you some material before I do the presentation, and we can talk thereafter. <laughs> Wonderful, Dr. Michael Barry. Uh, uh, great stuff as always to have you with us. I got to take a break though, and then come back, and I've got a shocking stat for you. So stay with us. You're listening on the Money Talks Network. You're listening to Money Talks. My name is Mike Campbell. Hey, I'm going to come back to my quote of the week here because I think it is something to reflect upon. Certainly my experience, it's George Orwell who says, all political thinking for years has been vitiated the same way. People can foresee the future only when it coincides with their own wishes. And the most grossly obvious facts can be ignored when they're unwelcome. That last part is the thing I notice. It's an grossly obvious, but we still ignore it. This is one of the roots, one of the roots of this so-called unintended consequences. Uh, you know, uh, great to talk with Dr. Michael Berry, but uh, I'll tell you one of the things is that we've got this uh, huge contingent of people who have been socialized through our educational system about the role of government when it comes to the economy. We had a, a federal election that continued to talk about which leader is best able to manage slash control the economy. That is an absurdity. And it avoids, as Mr. Orwell says, because it's uncomfortable, a central question for those people who put that out. And that is, if governments are that effective in controlling the economy, where the hell are they in France, in Greece, in Spain, in Italy, throughout Europe? Where are they in China, where they don't even have the 
inconvenience of democracy. They can do whatever they want. Look at the problems they're having there. What about socialist Venezuela, socialist France? I mean, these are fundamental questions that should at least get people questioning this ridiculous proposition that governments can control the economy. And in fact, their efforts to control the economy regularly produce, in quotes, these unintended consequences. Uh, It's incredible to me. Time now for my shocking stat. Uh, There's nothing that serves our uh, political elites and our crony capitalists more than a complacent and an unengaged population. That's what my shocking stat is about, because it reflects the increasing disengagement of the population. Listen to this. From 2003 to 2013, the proportion of Canadians who said they followed the news and current affairs on a daily basis fell from 68% to 40%. Sorry, from 68% to 60%. In other words, 40% don't follow. I mean, the uh, the percentage also of Canadians who basically never looked at current affairs, doubled to 13% in that period. And it's even more prevalent among young people. Now, keep in mind all those people who say we should reduce the age of voting, right? More prevalent there. The proportion of young people aged 15 to 34 who said they rarely or never, never followed the news and current affairs, again, doubled from 2003 to 2013, went up to 21% from 11%. By comparison, at least, uh, you know, Canadians 55 and older are far more engaged, at least with the news on a regular basis. Uh, but that's that number still rose to 6%. I mean, this is one of the reasons I don't jump on that politically corrupt hobby horse. And we say, hey, we should lower the voting age. Why? So we could get more people who are ill-informed to be voting? I don't believe we need another person who doesn't follow the issues voting on them. They don't have jobs. They don't pay taxes. No, I don't need that. I mean, one of the tenets of democracy is, yes, the freedom to vote, but it is the obligation to stay informed. And these kind of numbers, uh, I I think you would have intuitively expected them, but when you quantify them like this, it's scary. It's absolutely scary. And by the way, the fastest, the only form of media that's gathering more people is the Internet. traditional sources like newspapers like television you're seeing a decline as the principal news source again we've seen that confirmed many places but wow you look at the number of people who are not engaged that goes some way at least to explaining how we get these horrendous economic policies and it's back to the old pt barnum you can fool some of the people all of the time i'll take a break i'll come back victor dares joining me live from the trading desk i've also got just a myriad of goofies all deserved to stay with us right here on the money talks network hey just a reminder if you go to moneytalks.net not only do you get the daily business comment but you also get uh, you can sign up for the free newsletter that has tons of uh, great stuff there. If you like quotes of the week, we've got that. We've got stats for you. Uh, we've got articles for you, uh, stuff that I pick out that uh, I think are really worth doing, some review of other things. But it's absolutely free, and I hope you take advantage of it uh, with that. And it's just moneytalks.net. But what I really hope you do is you go on, you click on the daily business comment. You can review also there. Anything we did on the program, uh, you want to hear Dr. Michael Berry again, which I think would be very worthwhile, or Jim Dines from a week ago. Uh, We've got so many great people here. There's no show that gets you better analysts. I I literally have this wonderful 
privilege of sitting back and saying, hey, who's good? I'm going to get them on. Plus, we have the midweek interview that I do uh, every week, so you can click on there. Uh, as we just heard about the lack of engagement of the Canadian population, thankfully, uh, this audience, uh, you're not one of them, but boy, the more information you get, the better it is if we're looking for solution, if you're looking to survive. But go to moneytalks.net for that. Sign up for the free newsletter there. Victor Dare joins me on the line right now, live from the trading desk. Uh, Victor, once again, just a ton of stuff to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, well, there there always is, and uh, I really in, uh, enjoyed listening to you talk with Mike. Uh, I've I've known Dr. Mike Berry for, for years. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. And what he was just talking about, I think, is, is something I'd like to talk about now, and that is, as I've said on this show for, for years, one of the most important drivers of market price action, as far as I'm concerned, has been investors' anticipation of what the central banks are going to do. Not only the central bank all by itself, but in relation to other central banks. And I, I think we're at a, a possible inflection point in the market right now where the market may have priced the bank is going to do something, but it actually may turn out to go the other way. You know, but I just want to make sure when we talk about the central banks, people really get the reason they've had to step forward and they had to do it in 2008 you know, in the beginning of the credit crisis was because politicians had screwed things up so badly and did not have solutions. To this day, people don't appreciate the degree to which politicians have stuck in obstacles that prevent economic growth. I mean, it's absolutely uh, straightforward when you keep removing money from people's pockets, whether you call that Obamacare, whether you call that a property tax increase, an MSP premium increase, or a straightforward, you know, a sales tax or an income tax you are preventing economic growth it's a, it's a fact and yet that's the kind of response that we've had policy wise uh, you know from our politicians so presto the central banks are looking there as dr michael berry said if they didn't step in we would have had even a greater mess on our hands <laughs> well it, it's hard to imagine you know what would have happened if they hadn't Fair stepped enough. in and uh, but 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 for me, from a trading point of view, I think one of the the d disciplines that come from trading is that you either acknowledge what's true or you get run over by it. And uh, <laughs> you know, well, and to that point, I'd say you and I have talked about Howard Marks before. Howard Marks uh, is an investor down in Los Angeles. He runs about a hundred billion dollars. He particularly likes to buy stuff when nobody else wants to buy it, and then he'll sell it after it goes up. I've read his book a couple of times. I'm rereading it again. I'd say of my, of my whole bookshelf of uh, books that I have, my book by Howard Marks is my current favorite. And if, I particularly like how he deals with risk and basically says, we have no idea you know, how much risk there is in the markets. We have no idea of how to really measure risk. But he also talks about how investor psychology swings from being too bearish to being too bullish and then goes back the other way. And it is those swings in investor psychology that gives him the opportunity to make money in the market, basically by betting against the herd. And that's what I'm talking about here now with central bank policy. 
Mike, if I could just carry on here. Uh, let me just uh, let me just interrupt you for one thing, because you didn't Go mention ahead, the yeah. name of the book. The most important oh. thing illuminated. That's more. Uh, that's who Victor is alluding to. He gave me a copy. By the Victor gave me a copy, and I loved it. I've got a son in finance who who has been a Howard Marks follower for years. It's called the most important thing illuminated. Illuminated uncommon sense for the thoughtful investor. I couldn't agree more. This should be on the top of people's bookshelves there. And, uh, and, and Victor's, a, what a great testimonial. Victor's been successful and in these markets for, you know, uh, 35 years or more. And I don't want to say or more, Vic, to depress you. And uh, he still <laughs> finds value in this one. So, sorry, Vic, I just want to make sure that's the book we're talking about. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, one of the things that Howard would say very plainly is that we cannot know what's going to be in the future. But... We can know, if we do some work, we can know something about what's going on now, and that may allow us to make some better guesses to position ourselves for the future. So here's so what's give me going an, on. Give me an example. Yeah, here's what's going on in the market now. Since Christmas time, the markets have repriced the amount of uh, interest rate increases that the Federal Reserve is going to do in 2016. In other words, in December, the Fed raised rates and basically said we're going to raise interest rates four more times by a quarter of a point each time throughout 19, uh, 2016. Since then, the market's gone, you know something? I don't think that's going to happen. I think maybe uh, they're not going to raise interest rates at all. We might even actually see them cut interest rates. So that has been priced into the market. The way it gets priced in, we've seen a huge rally in sovereign debt, government bonds, and we've seen what I'd call the relative weakness of the U.S. dollar since Christmas time. Now, I would say here's the trade, okay? Here's the trade idea. This is the way I look at it. The investor psychology, it's been influenced by thoughts of slow global growth, deflationary pressures, oversupply, particularly in the case of commodities, uh, crude oil, that sort of thing. But if the investor psychology has gone to an extreme in terms of thinking the Fed ain't going to raise rates, well, then the risk-reward ratio of betting on rising interest rates in America at this level gets very attractive. And this would be the kind of thinking that Howard Marks would bring to the markets. Uh, you know, and again, we're watching... Uh, what, what I find interesting is we're watching these sort of rebounds off the major trends. So Canadian dollar drops to 68. It's expected to have some sort of a rebound. Uh, oil at some point is going to rebound here. Uh, but we've seen them, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, how brief these rallies seem to become before the major trend reasserts itself. Well, there certainly is. And, you know, I, I talk about markets every day with my son, Drew. I mean, we talk about what we see in the market. It's, a, it's an interesting view for me to get uh, his perspective on things and clearly the day-to-day volatility in the market. I mean, it just seems like it's normal these days for, you know, the Dow Jones to be up or down 300 points from one day and then reverse the other day and you just go, okay, that's just what's going on. Uh, the volatility, I'm not quite sure what, why that is. I mean, I know I'm more cautious because of it, but what I'm, what I'm seeing here in terms of specific trades is, uh, you mentioned the Canadian dollar. We sold out of the money puts in, uh, mid, uh, January. What month are we in? In mid January. We're down to 68 cents. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. Those puts expired worthless. This past week, we've begun on our short-term trading to go back into the market selling Canadian dollars. 
I'm looking at these rallies that we've seen in the euro currency and the Japanese yen, the other side of the U.S. dollar being weak, and thinking those may run out of gas. We, so I'd be inclined to look for, in a rising interest rate environment in the United States, I'd be looking for the U.S. dollar to do better. So that's, that's just, that's trading. That's discrete short-term bets. I'm prepared to be wrong, you know, but uh, if I can make the trades often enough and have the odds in my favor, then maybe I come out ahead. I, I just got to, again, uh, when Victor says he sold puts on the Canadian dollar and they expired worthless, that's a good thing for him. He was playing the Canadian dollar to go up there, and it did go up off that 68, 69 cent level. So he made money on that trade. Just wanted to clear that up, Vic. <laughs> it well, was I'm a like, good one. Here's an example. When the Canadian dollar was at 68 cents, the market psychology was we're going to be at 50 cents in three weeks. Yeah. Okay. And what that meant was that the puts were really rich, what we call implied volatility in the market. So I got paid very handsomely to bet against the herd at that point. And I mean, that time I was right. Believe me, there's lots of times when I do a trade like that and it doesn't work out. So I just go, well, this is one of those trades that's not working out. Let's get out of it and get into something that is working. Good stuff as always, Vic. Great to talk with you. Have a pleasant weekend. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you too. Books called The Most Important Thing Illuminated. That's Howard Marks. That's what uh, M A R K S that Victor was alluding to there. I'll take a break. I got a few goofy awards for you. You want to stay tuned and listen to these ones. They're beauts. My thanks to Victor Adair. My thanks also to Dr. Michael Berry. Uh, you know, very interesting stuff this week. And by the way, you can always go and have a look, or if you want to re-listen, or you want to recommend it to somebody, and I really wish you would, if you go to moneytalks.net. Uh, I just think it's uh, really important. I Also, you can re-listen to Paul Phillips and his big, fat idea, and, of course, Michael Levy with me here. My thanks to all of them. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty base, which means the investor get paid first. There's no fees, and it's in the tech sector. So you can simply go to soleraclub.com. For more information, lots of goofies to choose from this week. Rachel Notley's NDP government banned Ezra Levine's Rebel.ca from covering three different government press conferences. Really, the reason was they don't like their point of view, how progressives of them. But the rationale was so lame. He's not a journalist, as if commentators aren't journalists. I mean, give me a break. And, and also the whole idea that the government should be in charge of who is a journalist and who's not. But they didn't get my goofy. I give them credit. They said they made a mistake after this huge outcry, and that was the right thing to do. So on to my goofy. I was amazed how little coverage this got. Did you see that the Justice Department blew uh, Canadian $50 million as they handed out undeserved holiday pay? They first off started to say that, oh, it's just affecting a few people. And then, of course, the story comes out, thanks to the CBC, who did a good job on this. But very little media attention after that. That's why I'm not so sure you probably heard about it. The, uh, the inside story, or an insider rather, told the CBC News that senior officials tried to sweep this issue under the rug. Uh, union and management played down the problem, saying most of the payroll discrepancies were small potatoes, mere understanding. Well, you know what? 50 million tax dollars is not small potatoes, especially when you lose that in a time of declining government revenues. But amazing to see that it didn't rate a mention in so many major media outlets. 
I mean, that's a little bit too much business as usual. Every time, by the way, I hear something like that, I think to myself, of all those people who say, we want higher taxes on businesses or higher income individuals, after all, we've got some undeserved paid holiday time to dole out, $50 million worth on that. But that's not all. I'm not stopping there. How about this story? And this, again, will not be popular with some people. Uh, I just got to give a nod to all those people and commentators, you know, the big debate about uh, Canada's ISIS role and not using the fighter jets and bombing anymore. But saying that removing the jets is in the Canadian tradition. After all, we historically have been a nation of peacekeepers. This is from the Toronto Star's editorial, for example, in quotes. Canada's historic strength in military training, humanitarian aid and diplomacy, end of quote. They're talking about that. Really? Are you so ill-informed about our history? Do you think that was our role in World War I or the Second World War or in Korea? I mean, we lost 500 soldiers in Korea. That is such a profound insult to the men and women who laid down their lives and are now clearly forgotten. That is not Canada's historic role. Canada played an incredibly prominent role in defeating the Nazis in World War II, World War I, Korean War, the list goes on. But you know what it is? It's a very convenient conceit. Oh, we're, we're a nation of peacekeepers. And by the way, when the UN kept statistics on that, going back 10 years, we were ranked 37th. Well, good for us. Bottom line, Lots of goofies this week. In the meantime, hey, go to moneytalks.net. Sign up for the free newsletter. Lots of great articles. And really, I think an informed public is the key. I really invite you to listen to the business comments, the midweek report, and review anything you want on Money Talks. In the meantime, go ahead. Have a terrific weekend. I do appreciate you listening.